Uh, we're looking at the passion for self-gratification uh, here. Uh, the next several verses here, James basically begins to tackle the problem of dissension. He's talked about the dissensions uh, and the rivalries and the things that have been going on in the church here. Uh, and he begins to really tackle the problem head on and traces it all the way back to what we looked at last week in verses 13 through 18 of chapter 3. And that is uh, wrong wisdom and contrasting the difference between true and false wisdom. And what we will see this morning is it leads to a frustrated desire and a passion uh, to gratify self or to please self at the disregard of others uh, here. And so um, this chapter this morning may be viewed as one whose lifestyle reflects that one who is living under false wisdom, living according to the way of the world, uh, if you will. And so worldly-minded wisdom in chapter 4 all the way through chapter 5, verse 6, James will break it down into three different ways here. It's, it, this worldly wisdom is expressed in three different ways, and we will see this morning in verses 1 through 10 that it's expressed through the, the passion for self-gratification. Verses 11 and 12, it is expressed through bickering and arguing among ourselves, among fellow believers, which ultimately leads to, in verses 13 all the way through chapter 5, verse 6, an arrogant disregard for God. Now, I'll just leave this here and you can think about it for a couple of weeks. Do we see any of these parallels in America today? Hmm. Mm. But understand now, James is writing about worldly wisdom, but he's writing to the church. He's writing to believers. And as I kept saying last week, evidently, there's some of these problems, some of these issues going on within the church. If not, why write about it, right? If it's not a problem in the church, why would James be writing about it? And so the message for us today is what James is telling this church is wrong with them. Don't do that. Right? You remember the old hee-haw show with Doc Campbell? Somebody come in and say, Doc, it hurts when I do that. What was his solution? Don't do that. Okay. I think I can handle that job. Right? But anyway, we see this passion for self-gratification here in verses 1 through 10. It's brought out in four different ways. In verses 1 and 2, James tells us what the source of our uh, passions are, uh, the source of wars as he describes it here. Uh, he says in verse 1 of chapter 4, from whence come wars and fightings among you? And then he answers the question, right? Come they not hence even of your lust that war in your members? You lust and have not, you kill and desire to have, <clears throat> and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you have not, because you ask not. So the battles here that he's talking about are taking place within the church. And he uses two different terms here. He first of all calls it wars. And that term there means conflict. It means uh, ind an individual encounter, individual hostilities among the brothers. And so there's some conflicts going on uh, within the fellowship. But then he also calls them fightings here or quarrels, which uh, denotes chronic hostility. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this passage and I think what James is saying to this church and I think about this is the people of God that he's writing to that are dealing with these things and, and exhibiting these types of behaviors, you would expect that outside the walls, wouldn't you? You would expect that in a lost world, but not in the house of God, not among the people of God. But how many times do we see that? It's sad. It just breaks my heart when I think about this. And so he says these wars, these uh, individual conflicts here, uh, and then these fightings, this chronic hostility uh, that is going on here. He says, where do they come from? And then he answers the question. So it's basically a rhetorical question, right? He gives us the question. He gives us the answer. He says, don't they come even of your own lusts? Now that word lust that is translated there is the Greek word hedone. And that is the word we get our word pleasure from. Pleasures. You've heard the term hedonism, right? Uh, that's exactly where we get this word from. And so what James is saying here, where do these wars come from? They come from your own passion, your own passion for self-gratification. That word hedonism simply means the intense longing to satisfy your own desires. An intense longing to satisfy yourself. And so it is self-gratification that he's dealing with here this morning. Those that only are concerned about themselves, what can I do to, or, or have, what can I get into that's going to make me happy, that's going to make me feel good, that's going to bring me pleasure with a total disregard for everyone around them, and ultimately, as we said, an arrogant disregard for God. They have no concern for others, no concern for God. They're only concerned with pleasing themselves. Once again, I remind you, James is writing to the church, which makes it even more sad, right? Which makes it even more sad. I shared this with you um, a week or two ago, maybe. Uh, the first statement in what is called the Westminster Confession uh, which is an ancient uh, document, creed of, of orthodoxy and what we are to believe as believers. Uh, the first question in there simply says, what is the chief end of man? And then it answers that question. It says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Now, do you see that in this first verse here? No way to glorify God if you're only concerned with pleasing self, right? It won't, will not happen. Where do you find your enjoyment? When you glorify God and you serve and worship Him, then what does He do? He brings that joy into your life, that joy into your heart, and as the Bible describes it, that peace that passes all understanding, that peace that cannot be explained by the world. So James says here the source of these things is our own desire to satisfy ourselves. And so he says here, where do they come from? They come from within. Why do, why do these things happen? He says they come from your own lust that war 
in your members. Then look what he says in verse 2. You lust and you have not. You kill, you desire to have. You cannot obtain. You fight, you war, yet you have not because you ask not. And so um, Jesus said something about that. And James <coughs> seems to be kind of echoing Jesus here, doesn't he? When he says you kill and desire to have. What did Jesus say about murder? He said, if you have anger in your heart, you've what? You've committed murder. You've already done it. And so James here is sort of echoing what Jesus said uh, here. You desire to have, you have not. If you look on a woman and lust after her, what have you done? You've committed adultery already in your heart is what Jesus said. And so James here is echoing what Jesus said, and so where there's bickering, where there's hostility, where there's anger, where there's murder in the heart that is taking place, James says it has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. These selfish actions here are going to lead to all kinds of selfish motivations and selfish desires here. Now, he's dealt with these things earlier in the book, right? In chapter 1, he dealt with temptation. If you go back to chapter 1, verse 13, what does he say? Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot tempt, be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. But every man is tempted when he is what? Drawn away of his own lusts, his own desires, seeking his own pleasure. That's when he's enticed. So James has already dealt with that. In chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and following, he talks about favoritism, showing partiality uh, within the church. I don't know about you, but I don't have much desire to pastor this kind of church. Do you? <laughs> Do you even want to be a member of this kind of church? I hope the answer is a resounding no, right? I mean, it's just when I think that he's writing to the church. Chapter 3, he deals with the tongue. And he talks about how the tongue can bless God with, at one moment and, and curse men at the other moment. And these things ought not to be. And then we get over to chapter 3, uh, verse 14. And we looked at this last week. He says, if you have bitter envying and strife in your heart. All of these things James is writing about. And now he tells us exactly where the source is. Where they come from. And they come from within. That desire to please self. But look what happens next in verse 3. If this describes you, verses 1 and 2, if verses 1 and 2 describe you, you don't even need to read verse 3. Look what it says. You ask and receive not. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your lusts, your own pleasures, your own desires. There's that word again. Now, what's he talking about? You ask and you receive not because you ask amiss. He's talking about your prayer life. He's talking about prayer. And listen, you go back and read the, read the book, the things I've just mentioned at when we're tempted of our own lust, when we're drawn away, when there's bitter envying, when we're talking about each other and bickering among ourselves and things of that nature. Uh, here, the, um, he says, you ask amiss, so the prayer here seems to be legitimate, but the motivation is wrong. 
What's the motivation? To bring more pleasure to self. Not to seek what God's will is. Not to seek to glorify Him. Not to seek to serve Him. Not to seek to worship Him. But to seek to get something for myself. Now I shared this. I believe it was uh, Thursday morning at our uh, pastor's breakfast. Um, We were talking about um, some things. And prayer kind of come up into the conversation. And uh, just a few weeks ago, I'm not going to mention the name. It might be one of your favorites. If it is, I'm sorry for you. And I will be praying for you. Uh, But uh, I I like to watch Westerns. And the Inspiration Channel usually has Gunsmoke. Amen. Bonanza. Amen. The Virginian. Amen. And I'll sit there and watch that. So the other Saturday morning, a couple of Saturday mornings ago, I got up and I turned that thing on. It was a little after 8 o'clock and I'm thinking I'm going to see some gun smoke. Guess what was on? A religious show called Camp Meeting. I'm just going to leave it right there. I probably shouldn't even have said that, should I? I forget we're recording these things and going out live. But anyway, here's what the guy said. He said God gave him a vision. And uh, if 50, if, if you would plant a seed, a, a faith seed of $58, in 58 days, God is going to bless you. And I'm sitting there thinking, hmm, good thing I don't have $58. <laughs> no, no, that's not what I was thinking at all. What is he saying? God's that great grandfather in the sky with that great big bag full of candy. (laughs) And if you come crawl up in his lap every now and then, he's going to throw you out some candy, right? That's not how God works. That's not how God operates. I don't know where he got the 58 from, uh, $58 in 58 days. I don't know where he got that from. Um, But I'm sitting there thinking, how many people fall for that? Well, God, I'm going to give you some, a, a dollar or two today, and I expect uh, twice that much tomorrow. Uh, you know, here, I'll bless you, you bless me, kind of. That's not how God works, is it? I mean, if that's how God works, a lot of us would be rich, wouldn't we? <laughs> and here's what James is saying. You're asking these things, and maybe the request is legitimate, but you're asking with the wrong motives. Go back to to the Sermon on the Mount. What did Jesus say when when those Pharisees were doing their alms? They were doing them, why? To be seen of men. And he said, if that's your motivation, then you have your reward. What's your reward? You've been seen of men. And so we ask, have not, because we ask with selfish motives. Selfish actions and selfish praying always leads to conflict. Why? Because we begin to take the focus off of the things that God has blessed us with, and we look at the things that we desire, the things that we want to have, that we can't have, either because we can't afford it or whatever the reason is, and then we begin to get, and I've used this several times here, we begin to get what is called ingrown eyeballs. We begin to look at ourselves. 
and we look at our problems and we look at the things going on around us and, and we fail to see what God has blessed us with. And we begin to complain. And we begin to complain to ourselves. Then we complain to God. And then what do we do? We begin to complain to somebody else. And um, if that person is the least bit negative, you know what they're going to do? They're going to complain to somebody else. And before long, it is spread through the body like a cancer. I heard a preacher say this one time. He said, negative people are the type of people that will turn the light off in the room just to say, hey, it's dark in here, isn't it? Isn't that right? Negative people won't dig you out of the hole. They'll throw more dirt on the hole while you're in it. And so this is what James is saying here. We ask with the wrong motivations, the wrong motives. So the desire, the passion for self-gratification will destroy your prayer life. Why? Because your heart is not right with God. And if your heart is not right with God... He's not going to answer your prayer. You've got to come to Him and approach Him and recognize that He is God, that He is holy, that He is uh, the majestic God, the creator of the world. And James is going to talk about that here in just a moment. And the things uh, that He has blessed us with, He has blessed us with those things that we might use them to bless Him, and to bless others. Right? I mean, we give our money. Why do we give our money? And I've heard people pray this many, many times at, at the off-door prayer, and there's not a thing wrong with it. God, we're giving back a portion to that of that with which you have blessed us with. Isn't that right? Everything we have comes ultimately from Him, Right? And so when we're giving and we're, we're sharing, we're giving back to Him, we're giving back to God that which He has blessed us with. And when we give that with a pure motive and a pure heart, you know what He's going to do? He's going to bless you. Now, it doesn't mean you put $100 in here today, you're going to get 1000 in the mail this week. That's not what that means at all. But what that means is my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory. How? Through Christ Jesus. All your needs. And I could go on and on. I've shared several things with you on and on about going into ministry and all the things, all the questions, all the concerns. But guess what? God took care of them. God took care of them. And if you'll be faithful to Him, He'll be faithful to you. The third thing here that, uh, that is brought out in verses 4 through 6, <clears throat> James talks about the passion for self-gratification, and here it is, it is hated by God. God hates it. God detests it. Look what he says. You adulterers and adulteresses know you not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Do you think that the Scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwelleth in us lusts to envy? But he gives more grace... Wherefore, he said, God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. 
So this passion for self-gratification, James says here, is appalling to God. It is hated by God. And so this hedonistic spirit, this desire for self-gratification here, James is equating it with friendship with the world. And you can't be friends of the world and friends of God at the same time. Why? Because the world that James uses here in the uh, broad sense is, is that created order, the creation that we have, the, the word is cosmos that he uses here, and it is that created order, but in a narrow sense, in the way John uses it in his epistle in 1 John, it has to do with that worldly influence, that worldly spirit, that influence that is um, influenced by the devil uh, himself. So in the narrow sense, uh, it is indicative of that world system that is influenced by evil. And so he's uh, quoting here a couple of verses in, in verses 5 and 6. Verse 5, uh, he says, The Scripture says, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy. You won't find that in, in your Scriptures. Uh, and so it's sort of unclear exactly what James is referring to here. But evidently, he's referring to the whole of Scripture. All of Scripture. The Word of God uh, there, which may be uh, what he's referring to. Uh, verse 6, though, he's quoting Proverbs 3, verse 34, when he says that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And so he says here that being uh, a friend of the world uh, is an enemy of God, and he, look what he calls them, adulterers and adulteresses. What's he talking about here? Is he talking about in the literal sense? No, he's talking about in a physical, what? Figurative, there's the word. I almost said physical, am I? I ain't right. Figurative, figurative sense, thank you. You've been reading my notes? No, I'm teasing. Uh, <laughs> but spiritual adultery is what he's talking about. Committing spiritual adultery. And if you're not familiar with that, read the book of Hosea. That's exactly what the prophet is talking about. The, the people of Israel had turned their back on God and had committed spiritual adultery. And so James calls them adulterers and adulteresses uh, here. And so he says that they are enemies of God if they're trying to be friends of the world. John said this over in his epistle in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Look at what he said. Love not the world. He's using that term cosmos in the same way. The world system that is influenced by evil Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, look at this, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have it both ways. Now, does that mean you're, you don't care for the things that you have? Your house, your car, your boats, or whatever you have. You don't care for the... Sure, you care for those things. But if that is your objective, if that is the thing that you care the most about then something is wrong with your relationship to God. And so you, anything that you love more than God is a problem, right? Anything or anyone is a problem. And this is what John is saying here, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If you love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father but it's of the world. 
So John makes it pretty clear. James makes it pretty clear. Friendship of the world is to be an enemy of God. And so these things are detested by God. They're hated by God. So to love something more than God is spiritual adultery. And that's what James is writing about here. Go to the book of Exodus right quick. Like I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. Verses 3 through 5 of Exodus chapter 20. We call it the Ten Commandments, right? And understand the context. If, when you get to Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 12, the people of Israel are, are finally led out of Egypt, right? And they go through, they cross the Red Sea, all of those things. They come to Sinai. And they're camped at Mount Sinai. And Moses is receiving the law from God. I think I might have shared this with you before, uh, but I've written a little paper, about 350 pages on this. Uh, what they're doing... God is giving them instructions of how they are to live their life in a land of paganism. Why? They have come out of a land of paganism, the land of Egypt. And they're going into a land of paganism, the land of Canaan. And so they're camped here at Sinai, and God is giving His people that He said, I will be your God, you will be my people, I'm a holy God, therefore you be holy. And here's how you are to live your life when you go into this land. Look what he says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. None. I'm to be number one. Right? That's what he's saying. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, an idol, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. And He desires an intimate love relationship with you. And He desires that He has first place in your life. And so He says, do not make these things. Do not bow down to them. Do not worship them. I am a jealous God. And He desires your total devotion. He desires your total person, your total being. That's the kind of God we serve. And He is a jealous God. You can't divide your loyalties. Now, what happens? Moses is up on the mountain, and he's receiving the law. We get to Exodus chapter 32, and you know what they say? Moses has been up there a good long while. I'm not so sure he's coming back down. And we don't know what he's doing up there. But evidently, he and our God have abandoned us, so we need to make another God. And Aaron, the priest the pastor, the spiritual leader, says, well, let's take all your gold and all your jewelry and everything and let's fashion us something we can worship. And so they put it in the fire, they melt it down, they fashion this golden calf. And you're familiar with that, right? In Exodus chapter 32, Moses is coming down the mountain with the two tablets of stone 
And as he comes down and he sees what the people are involved in and engaged in, what does he do? He smashes those two tablets. And then he says, what's going on here? And Aaron, the priest, the pastor, the spiritual leader, says, well, Moses, we just took the jewelry and threw it in the fire and that's what come out. What does the scripture say? They fashioned it. They molded it into the image they wanted to worship. And they began to worship it. Did they forget Exodus chapter 20, verses 3 through 5? Obviously, they did in that short of time. And so you see how the people of Israel, God's chosen people, treated God. But don't we do the same thing? As the church, the called out body of believers, don't we do the same thing? We give our allegiance over here, we give our allegiance over there, we give our allegiance over here, and if we have anything left, okay, God, you can have the rest of it. That's not what God wants from you. God wants you. And when He gets you, some of those other things might not be as important as you think they are. He wants your heart. And so James says to be a friend of the world is to be an enemy of God. So how do we stay in that right relationship? Look at the end of verse 6. God resists the proud but gives grace unto the humble. God's grace is the means by which we can remain loyal to Christ. Through His grace, not our own strength, not our own power. Why was the law ineffective? Because it was written on tablets of stone. It was external. I need to do this. I need to do that to stay in a right relationship with God. But do you know what the cross of Calvary did for you? The finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary means He has done it for you. And all you need to do is put your faith and trust in Him. And let the grace of God fill your soul. And so, what does that mean? If we're going to eradicate this passion for self-gratification, it must begin with repentance. It must begin with repentance. <clears throat> and so in verses 7 through 10, James gives us here seven commands. Seven commands here. He's given us a stern warning in verses 4 through 6. And then he summons us to repent by giving us these seven commands here in verses 7 through 10. Look at how they are structured here. And I don't think the structure is an accident. First one here in verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. <clears throat> Submission is the overarching theme of these seven commands. And what does that mean? It means to bring yourself under the authority. And so if we are bringing ourselves under the authority, who's the authority? God. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. It's unconditional surrender. God, I've tried it my way all these years. I've tried to do it in my own strength, in my own power. It's just not working. I surrender all. Right? 
Isn't that total unconditional surrender? To surrender it all to Him? To let Him have His way to bring it under God's authority? True repentance must begin with submission. Getting self out of the way. See, that's the problem. Self's in the way. And so you've got to get self out of the way. What's number two? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. That means refuse to yield to the devil. I've shared this with you before too. The old TV show Flip Wilson. You know, he'd get himself into some kind of bind of some kind of some scenario there on the TV. And they would say, what, what's wrong with you? And what was his response? The devil made me do it. Listen, the devil doesn't make you do anything. I talked about that when we were looking back uh, in chapter 1 with the temptation uh, there. We are tempted and drawn away by what? Our own desires, our own lusts. The devil might throw it out there, but he didn't make you do it. Right? And so James here now goes back to that idea and he says, resist him, refuse to yield to him, This word that is used for devil here means slanderer or accuser uh, here. And how does Peter describe him over in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8? The devil, the slanderer, the accuser is what? A roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. That's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your witness for Christ. And so James says to resist him. So how do we do that? Verse 8, draw near to God. Draw near to God. Do you see the pattern? I think it's a pretty good pattern that James has given us here. Draw near to God. And it has a promise attached to it. He will draw near to you. Seek Him and what? You will find Him. Draw near to Him and what? He will draw near to you. How do we do that? Well, it can begin by studying His Word. <laughs> Reading His Word. Each and every day, not just Sunday morning, not just uh, in, in preparation for a Sunday school lesson. And uh, that, I don't know if you noticed that on the slide, but hopefully we'll start that back in August. The deacons met Thursday and discussed that again. And numbers seem to be going up, so we're going to kind of hold off on that for a while. Hope you'll understand uh, those kind of things. And we just want you to be safe. Uh, those kind of things. But... Begin by studying the Word of God, praying to God, seeking Him, not seeking to get from Him, but seeking to give to Him, because when you give yourself to Him, guess what? You'll be blessed beyond measure. You can't even contain it. And so He's drawing near to God. If you are not as close to God as you once was, guess who moved? Guess who moved? The Bible declares that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the constant. He never moves. But we drift away from Him when we get our eyes on the world and our eyes on self. And so the command here, and now these, understand these are imperatives. They are not options. They are commands. And so we submit, we resist, we draw near to God. What is number four? We cleanse our hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands. That is a pure life, having purity of life. If you understand the Old Testament imagery, when the uh, priest in the Old Testament was ready to make sacrifice, what would he do? 
he would go into the Holy of Holy, into, into the tabernacle or the temple, and the first thing that he would be met with there uh, was this laver, this laver of, of, of water. And what would he do? Dip his hands in there and cleanse his hands. What was that a symbol of? That was a symbol of external purification. To get him in a right relationship to go in and make the sacrifice on behalf of the people. And so it's our outward conduct here. Uh, it was used in the Old Testament as the ceremonial cleansing. <clears throat> and so James here says to cleanse your hands, your, you sinners, the externals, what everybody else sees. Clean it up. But he doesn't leave it there. Look what he says. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. So the purification here is the inward purification. Purify your hearts. And I shared this the other day. The word heart that is used there uh, is indicative of the innermost being. The very innermost part of the person. And so he's saying here to purify your hearts. Here, it is the most inward part. Psalm 24, verses 3 and 4 says this, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in His holy place? He that has clean hands and a pure heart. Right? Who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceit deceitfully. Who shall enter into the most holy place? The one with the clean hands and the pure heart. Isn't that what James is saying here? Cleanse your hands, purify your heart here. Then look what it says in verse 9. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. The idea here is the idea of a repentant heart. It, we must come to God with mourning and with weeping. Weeping over our sin. What did Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4? Blessed are they that mourn. And he's not talking about those that are going around sad all the time. He's talking about those that are mourning over their sin. What's the promise? They will be comforted. Amen? When you come to God with a clean hands and a pure heart, He will cleanse you. So we must come to Him in sincerity. Must come to Him in brokenness. When's the last time you've been broken over your sin? When's the last time you have just wept over your sin? Don't answer that. I'm not going to answer it. But God knows. And He knows if we deal with our sin seriously or frivolously. I can't say that word either. But do we just deal with it superficially? Or do we deal with it Seeking cleansing from God. Now look what he says in verse 10. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. So he's began here in verse 7 with submission, humility. And he ends with humility. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he what? Will lift you up. He will lift you up here. So... Verse 7 and, and verse 10 here could be indicative of how we are to accomplish the five that are sandwiched in between. With humility. Seeing ourselves as we truly are. Trying to see ourselves 
as God sees us. Seeing others as God sees them. Do you realize that God sent His Son into this world to die on a cross for you? Do you realize that God sent His Son into this world to die on a cross for all those out there tearing up businesses and statues and rioting and burning stuff? Now, I don't know about you, but when I don't watch much news anymore because I get mad. And I don't like that one bit. I don't like it one bit. But you know what? Jesus died for them. And He loves them, whether we want to think this way or not. He loves them just as much as He loves us. Right? He does. He died for all. So what are we to do? We better be on our knees. If we can't do anything else, we can pray for them. That God would somehow intervene and touch their heart and touch their life. Listen, if we fail to humble ourselves, God will humble us. Oh, me? He will. He will. So it, to be humble here is to have a proper view of ourselves, a proper view of others, and to do humble acts of kindness for others. Our service should be unto the Lord. I was just uh, a few minutes before we were getting ready uh, to start this morning. Um, this thought popped in my brain and I wrote it down. I think I, I, I will even put it on Facebook this morning real early. Getting back to the altar, A-L-T-A-R, will alter, A-L-T-E-R, your life. When's the last time you got serious with God? When's the last time you really said, God, have your way in my life. God, I repent of all of these things. And you were just weeping and broken over your sin. You see, in this society, and we're here today, in the situation that we're in in our country today, because... Several years ago, back in the 60s, I'm not going to try to do the math right off. Somebody said, hey, I think it'd be a good idea if we take the Bible out of school. Somebody else said, hey, I think it'd be a good idea if we take prayer out of school. And then we come along a few years later and somebody said, hey, I think it'd be a good idea if we quit spanking our children, quit disciplining our children and just gave them a timeout. And just ask them not to do that anymore. And we have been on that slippery slope and going down ever since. And that's the way I see it. You might not see it that way, but that's the way I see it. And I think a lot of these problems in our country today could be resolved if we once again are one nation under God. And God has first place in our life. Where's that going to begin? It's got to begin with us. It's got to begin with you. It's got to begin with me. Because we are the church. We are the people of God. And if we don't do it, who is?
us pray. Father, we thank you for this time we've had to share today. We thank you for these that are here. Father, I pray that you take these words today, you apply them to our heart and our life. Father, that we would examine our life. And Father, if we are selfish, if we have our desires on self, Father, that you would help us to see the error of the way. Father, that we would truly come to you in brokenness and repentance. And Father, that you might restore us to a right relationship, but Father, you might help us to see the need to pray for those around us and the world around us. And Father, seeking your face, that you might intervene. And Father, that you might, once again, bless our nation. Father, we just uh, lift this up to you, ask you have your will in your way. We ask it in the sweet and precious name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.